The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani, and we've got a very special show for you today. ARK CEO Kathy Wood joins us. She'll weigh in on the path ahead for crypto and spot Bitcoin ETFs, given the SEC opted not to appeal the court's decision on Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF conversion over the weekend. That was a big moment here. Does this mean a spot Bitcoin ETF might now be around the corner? We'll see. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss the fate of technology in the face of higher interest rates. We'll discuss her foray into European investing and other investments, bright spots she's paying attention to these days. Here's my conversation with Kathy Wood, the CEO of ARK Invest, along with Tom Leiden, Vice Chairman of Vetify. Uh, Kathy, you're one of the nine applicants for a spot Bitcoin ETF. It does look like the SEC may be forced to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Can you tell us what of any communications you've had with the SEC and what else we might know about this? How do we push the ball forward here? Well, uh, actually, our partner, 21 Shares in Europe, uh, uh, did uh, uh, answer or send in information in response to SEC questions uh, and uh, and and we sent them in uh, on Thursday, I think, or it was publicized that we did. Um, so what we see here is a little bit of a change in the SEC's behavior. Uh, they actually are asking questions, and uh, we provided five pages along with our partner of answers to those questions. So uh, progress, we would say, yes. Yeah. It, you know, one thing I noticed, Kathy, is that the, the interest in Ether futures ETFs, which only started a couple of weeks ago, and we had some of the people on from ProShares involved in that, has been rather muted uh, since they were introduced uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm wondering uh, if a spot Bitcoin ETF is really going to move the needle this time. Uh, it's, it's interesting because Bitcoin's been sideways for months, and yet we've known that this, this ruling is came in and it's known that they likely may not appeal and yet doesn't seem to be moving Bitcoin. It's up a little bit today. Is it is, is interest a little more muted in Bitcoin than it used to be? You know, judging by the questions we're getting, no. Um, I think many people uh, uh, focus on our price target for, for Bitcoin and, uh, you know, our base case is over $600,000 by the year 2030 and they really want to understand that. So maybe they're just trying to understand our research, but there's definitely a focus on, you know, uh, is, uh, is this a new asset class that I should investigate? And I would say institutions especially, when they see the SEC seal of approval in this way, I think this will finally bring institutional yeah. interest into Bitcoin. Are you on board with that idea? I mean, what, what's interesting to me, and the reason I ask is when, when the Bitcoin futures ETF launched, BITO from ProShares, you know, we had, we had Simeon Hyman on. Yeah. This was, you know, almost two years ago. And boy, the interest was through the roof on this. A billion Volumes dollars was in the day. Huge. Right. And we've got a few million dollars in the Ether futures. Am I being petty here? Or no, no, I, I don't think so, Bob. I, th I think we're at a critical point in time. What th This issue with Grayscale is forced the SEC's hand. And really, up until Friday when they had their deadline, the SEC and Grayscale just weren't talking. Now that they've passed on this appeal date, they're forced to have a conversation. All during the last few weeks, though, 
They've been talking to ARC. They've been talking to all the other applicants, which gives good confidence yeah. that this is going to happen. And, and when it does, it may take a few months. We do a lot of surveying, as you know, with the folks at Bitwise and advisors for the last five years. The big issue is they don't feel like they have real access to cryptocurrency just because of their platforms. Now, if we have a spot opportunity in a whole variety of different issuers, that will change. So you're, you're, you agree with Kathy's point that this will increase institutional interest? It absolutely will. Okay. Yeah, because it's on platforms as, a, right. as opposed to exchanges that still aren't regulated. Yeah. So my understanding here is the court will issue its mandate. It'll, it'll tell the SEC this is what you have to do to be in compliance, and they'll move from there. We should know fairly fairly soon about what's going to happen here. Let me just move on, Kathy. Your flagship ARC fund is up 20% this year, but you've had outflows, and, and so have other tech funds. So tell us about that and what impact higher rates might be having on your holdings this year. That seems to be the big issue. Yes, well, we can tell we're not in a hugely speculative environment. A lot of people were worried about a reincarnation of the tech and telecom bubble with all of the chat GPT and, and artificial intelligence hype out there. We don't think it's hype. We think uh, there's something very profound going on here. Uh, so you can see interest rates uh, have and fear of higher for longer uh, has um, has hurt our performance since July. And I would say uh, most other growth managers. Uh, and I do think that we're seeing uh, many uh, investors kind of pull back into cash, which is yielding, you know, 5% plus, and even into long bonds. And and watching the flows into long bonds gives us great hope. If um, If investors, bond investors, are beginning to see the peak in interest rates, which is why they would invest in a bond fund, uh, then that should be very good for us. And I think if you if you listen to company reports, and you know, I know economic statistics are all over the place, but economic, I mean, the company reports are coming out solidly that uh, inflation is coming down and activity is weakening. I give uh, Domino's and LVMH two ends of the price spectrum for consumers, and both of them last week said oh, it's weak out there, especially in the United States. So uh, I think I think we've been through a period of rolling recessions. Housing, by some measures, down forty to fifty percent. Autos very sluggish at near recession levels. Inventories not really contributing anymore. Uh, so now I think the consumer is uh, is going to follow through and, and probably pull back a bit. And that will, we think, then um, highlight the superior growth in our portfolios uh, as they are recession resistant. So how about that? She's saying essentially investors are top ticking the yields right now. We've seen big inflows in the bond funds. You and I have talked about it this year. Uh, even longer term funds like the iShares 20 plus, the TLT. My heavens, we've seen 20 billion in inflows in this thing this year, 4.3 billion in the last three months. Even though it's had a lousy performance, it keeps going down, meaning the yields keep going up. Right. Uh, we're like 20% off its 52 week high here. So, Kathy's point here is once we get to the point where the Fed is done hiking rates, most advisors, when we survey them, say a year from now, rates are going to be lower. So, what does that mean? Not only do you need to go longer duration and lock in these rates, but you're going to be able to participate in the appreciation. I, I, we haven't said that word in a long time, but appreciation in bonds. And if you're sitting there on the sidelines, 
like seven billion dollars, I'm sorry, seven trillion dollars sitting there in money market funds, yes, it's getting five percent, but you're not going to participate in that appreciation right. once it rate starts the, to go those, down. That six trillion or seven trillion seems really sticky. I mean, the viewers I've talked to, they seem very happy. That's the concern that I have. I'm, I'm not trying to be argumentative with Kathy, but it's it, they seem very happy with their 5% coupon clipping. Kathy, how do you get, tell those people, come on, get, get let's get in the stock market here. Don't you have any FOMO a, a, at all? Doesn't that worry you a little bit? They seem well, happy this is, there. This, yeah, this is what happens uh, near the end of any cycle like this. Uh, you know, the fear, and now, of course, we have the, uh, situation in Israel, adding to the fear and adding to the fear of uh, uh, oil prices continuing to go up. So there's a lot of fear pushing people towards cash or making them feel comfortable in their cash. But uh, mind you, if if they see the prospects for interest rates actually coming down, um, then they will probably there, as you say, seven trillion dollars, some of it will probably start migrating uh, in a rebalancing way back to back to equities. And we're already seeing it in bonds. You know, Kathy, a, a year ago, I asked you if you were sitting across the table from an advisor that bought ARKK in the spring of 21 and was there with a fairly significant decline, what would you say to them? And would you repeat that? And, and do you still have the same feelings today? Yes. Uh, well, what I probably said uh, back then is if you have a five-year investment time horizon, we believe that uh, these five innovation platforms, which are evolving all at the same time, hasn't ever happened in history, are going to cause not just exponential growth, so good growth rates sustained, but super exponential growth, very good growth rates accelerating as we move into um, into technologies like autonomous taxi platforms, where three of our major innovation platforms, robotics, energy storage, and AI will come together. Uh, those are three uh, platforms that have are, are ready and are in the middle of prime time, and we think are going to deliver um, superior growth, growth beyond uh, what we're used to when we say this exponential growth phrase, uh, because it's one technology feeding another, feeding another. Uh, so again, we do a lot of research. We give it away. Uh, we give uh, some of our models away, especially those where we feel uh, there's a big inefficiency or misunderstanding. And you can see the building blocks behind our forecasts and change the variables if you want to. But uh, our confidence, if anything, has increased because of what's happening with artificial intelligence. Finally, ChatGPT captured the imagination of uh, the investor. We had been talking about artificial intelligence since the firm started in 2014. Uh, and we had been very focused on NVIDIA as the pure play uh, in this space. So we were there when NVIDIA was five. We're on to the next thing now. And I would say you're, you're picking uh, early 21. The, the drop from early 21 in our strategies uh, to the low was worse than the tech and telecom bust, which makes no sense. Back then, the technologies weren't ready. 
and uh, the costs were too high. We didn't have the cloud. We didn't have deep learning and AI. We didn't have transformer technology. We were not ready for prime time and the costs were prohibitive. Today, and yet, investors were chasing the dream back then. And that ended badly. Today, uh, talk about investor psychology. We're ready for prime time. The dream is no longer, it's a reality. And investors are so fearful. Uh, and so we think that the surprise element out there, as our companies take off uh, and, you know, harnessing these new platforms, uh, the, the element of surprise is going to be significant. And we will earn our way back into portfolios. There are many who stuck with this and average down all the way. We think they will, uh, they will be rewarded handsomely. If our research is correct, we think it is correct, of course, we could always be wrong. So the, the big story, you mentioned AI. Let's just keep, stay on that topic. Um, I look at your largest holdings uh, in your main ARC fund. Uh, I see Tesla, Coinbase, Roku, Zoom. I know you've talked about Tesla and AI, NVIDIA and AI, but d describe AI's exposure in your portfolio. Where, where, does, it, where does it help other than uh, Tesla, which you've talked about before, NVIDIA? Look at all these other ones we've got here, Twilio, Roblox, Unity, uh, some of the other ones, uh, Block as well. Speak about it broadly yes, and what uh, you're, where, it, where it fits in here. Sure. Most of the stocks in our portfolios are there because we've used an AI lens. Now, um, we wrote a paper called Investing in Artificial Intelligence, Where Will Equity Value Surface? Um, it's on arc-funds.com. Uh, now, uh, I think many people feel comfortable. They're on the right horses, the mega cap tech companies or the Magnificent Seven, one of which is Tesla. So we clearly agree with that one. Uh, we are not sure when it comes to the others. Uh, we think that AI is going to be highly disruptive, is going to disintermediate some of these platforms, not all of them, and that it may be the, the worst thing that has happened to, uh, to, to a company like Google. Google, um, if I can go to ChatGPT and just get an answer right away and not be bothered with links and advertisements, I might do that. Well, guess what? Google is responding and now giving me answers. So it could be the best thing that happened to Google. We don't know. All I know is that when there are major changes in platforms, um, especially user interfaces, now that we're thinking about glasses and other wearables, um, the, the, the winners of the last round in technology typically are not the winners in the next round. So we're on guard in that regard. And we know that most large cap portfolio managers own all of these. Our portfolios are a highly diversified way to participate in artificial intelligence. For every dollar in hardware that companies spend on artificial intelligence, it will probably pull $20 through in software. So that's why you see a company like UiPath, robot, Robotics Process Automation, um, which we think using, it is harnessing the foundation models that OpenAI, Anthropic, and others, Meta, Meta's Llama 2, it's harnessing those foundation models, but is using specialized models with its proprietary data 
uh, to to become the robotics process automation company uh, in the world, the largest. Uh, and same with Twilio, what kind of data? And, and you'll hear a four, four variables that we think are critically important as all companies approach AI and try and figure out how can I harness the productivity gains uh, from this new technology. One is they have deep domain expertise. They obviously know what they're doing and they have a vision about where their uh, own technology and company is going in the future. They have artificial intelligence expertise. They're taking this seriously. They have good distribution, preferably global, uh, not always. And then most important beyond that, they have proprietary data. And most of the companies you'll see in our portfolios have proprietary data that no one else has that they can use to help their customers. Twilio is another example, a trillion business consumer interactions every year and growing at an accelerated rate. They can help marketers and salespeople understand, hey, these were the interactions that caused uh, movement towards your company or your product. That is very valuable information that nobody else has. So here's another, what, what she's saying is essentially this is a variation on software eats the world. It's just a more advanced kind of software that eats the world that makes uh, things more productive uh, and efficient. I mean, what she was saying with proprietary data, we had a couple companies go public here in the last uh, couple of months. And one of the things they told me was they get hired to have access to the databases of various companies and provide high level analysis. AI obviously is in a higher level analysis than you can provide. So what she's saying makes perfect sense in terms of improving productivity for companies that are using the software around this. Well, well, not only that, the, the amount of growth, and Kathy and her crew have always been proponents of growth. It's not just earnings, but the growth that you have in the stocks that you buy, and then being able to pick the right stocks at the right time with the right allocation. And, and uh, that's what ARC's been all about. Kathy, I just want to use this quick opportunity. I know you have a uh, Israel Innovation Technology ETF. Can you just spend 30 seconds on that as far as what's going on over there? Uh, I know it's a very, very difficult time, but you're, you're investing in Israel right now. What's happening? Yes, so uh, this is a self-indexed fund. Any company based or headqu and headquartered in Israel that touches any of our innovation platforms is included in this index and it is rebalanced quarterly. When um, historically, when we've been through very tough times, including war times, um, the, this notion that innovation solves problems um, really is, um, it, it really helps investors get over humps like this one. So here we are, we're revisiting lows uh, with the Israel Innovation Technology Fund. And yet the innovators in that fund are going to help some of the problems that are being created by the crisis in Israel right now. Uh, and especially any company whose margins are under pressure and is suffering uh, as a result of what's going on. Um, harnessing the new technologies uh, that these companies, the companies in this portfolio and other companies around the world are providing uh, is going to help them shore up their margins better, cheaper, faster, more productive, more creative, more 
more creative new products and services. So uh, we think, uh, and we've always seen innovation gain yeah. traction during tumultuous times. All right, uh, I, I got to ask you about Tesla and Elon. Um, Tesla's still your largest holding. It's it's up a hundred percent this year. You got a real winner there. Uh, has Elon Musk been able to refocus on Tesla now that he has somebody else running? X. Do you have any insight into that or feeling about that? Uh, I, you know, I think that um, Elon is a, a troubleshooter, and uh, the troubles at uh, at uh, X are not over yet. Of course, um, we're seeing that in just recent days when they've said, uh, you know, the the Israeli conflict and all of the drama around it has caused uh, another hit to advertising revenues. So uh, I think uh, these these difficult times, though, spur Elon's creativity. He, he is a, a troubleshooter and a brilliant technologist. So uh, we think that each time he does face turmoil like this, that the intensity of his brain cells um, takes him to new answers. And, uh, you know, we've seen this at Tesla every step along the way. Tesla, um, now that EVs are scaling and he's got that machine in, in space, uh, in place, so to speak, uh, we have now the uh, autonomous side. And I think he's really focused on that. So, yes, I think it has his attention. Uh, he knows and believes, I think, that they're close to the finish line with this latest software upgrade, so much so that they're now hiring ride hail experts in different cities around the country. That is going to be a game changer. And, uh, and we don't think he's lost any focus. Great. Good to hear that. Now, you recently entered the European market. You bought Rise ETFs in the hopes of bringing, I, I think, thematic investing strategies to Europe. Can, can you convince European investors to buy into your philosophy of very concentrated tech bets? I know you're still pretty small over there. Yes. So, uh, well, we, we don't have any product o offering out there in the form of a USITS ETF. And that's what we were missing. Missing Since we were formed, I'm going to say for the past seven years, 25% uh, of our, the subscribers to our research, now we give our research away for free, but 25% of the demand is from Europe. And the number one question on our website as we track these questions is, why can't we buy your strategies in Europe? And so here we found this little gem of a company inside Asset Co., which uh, philosophically and from a DNA point of view is very much like ARC. They know what's in their portfolios. They're very focused on the future, thematically oriented. They do have a sustainable uh, orientation, which is absolutely essential in, in Europe and in fact, uh, more than half of their funds are Article 9 funds, whereas I think only 4% of all the funds in Europe are Article 9 funds. Uh, so we're ter terribly impressed with the quality of their own research uh, and due diligence. Uh, we saw it during the deal, and uh, I think we're going to hit the ground running um, if the regulators approve our strategies there. And then, of course, we'd like to distribute their strategies throughout the world, yeah. including the U.S. Hey, Tommy, <laughs> European distributions, a, you know, a challenge even for big American companies. How is it different than the U.S. getting it out in Europe? And Kathy's got big brand name recognition. Is that enough to, to, to 
break into the European market? Well, I think like Kathy was saying, they know of ARC, they know of Kathy. She's a rock star here in the States, but also over in Europe as well. The problem is, how do I get invested? A lot of Europeans actually find a way to buy the ETFs, the ARC ETFs listed here, but Fast forward, this new USIT strategy is really a mutual fund or ETF strategy for Europe. The problem is every country has different regulatory rules and regulations that you have to jump through. The, the good thing is the USIT's product can be sold throughout Europe, and I think Kathy's going to find a way to do that. The great thing is people already know her, and there are also people that love the research. Yes, yeah, she's certainly a well-known name uh, here and in Europe. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Market 102 portion of the podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation with Tom Lydon uh, from Vetify. Uh, and, and Tom, you're a veteran ETF watcher. It's, it's intriguing to me. We're three quarters of the way through the year. And for the first time in years, inflows into ETFs have been very muted. Not just, just equity, but even bond inflows have been muted. I, I think we're we're shooting for 400 billion in inflows, but we're used to six, $700 billion. This is not quite half, a no. little more than half, but yeah. um, still still um, rather surprising. What, yeah. what, what do you think is going on? Yeah, and uh, e even considering that, well, we had a good start to the year on the equity standpoint, but that's fizzled out in most asset classes around the world. S&P's kind of hanging in there just because of a uh, handful of stocks. But the surprising thing, Bob, I would say for the year is we have almost as much money going into U.S. fixed income as we have into U.S. equities. And that's really, really telling. Most that are investing, and in, in, we talked about some of this long duration demand that we've seen right now where most advisors and most investors feel a year from now, we're going to probably be in a recession and we're probably going to see lower rates. The Fed's going to have to do something. And investors are banking on that. With that, you have to start getting that longer duration and locking in those higher rates now because if you're sitting there on the sidelines in money market funds, and we know there's yeah. $7 trillion but in it's, money it's market always, funds. That's always the thing you've got to buy now. But we were saying this a year ago. A year ago, the market was saying we're going to be in a recession right now. Literally this moment, we're going to be in a recession. Wrong on that. Which right. goes to, if that doesn't make you humble, I've been doing this 33 years at CNBC. And what's astonishing is how bad ec economic and financial forecasting is. The yeah. market was wrong. The consensus opinion on a recession in 2023 was wrong. Now, we now... Now we're getting this line, oh, buy now for treasuries because yields are going to be lower a year from now, prices higher, and yet the job market's still strong. Like we keep yeah. waiting for this recession that's ever on the horizon yeah. that's not happening. So long-term 60-40 has worked, hasn't worked in the last couple of years. Yeah. Those individual investors or those advisors that deconstructed the 60-40 probably were better off, but the problem is you got this big pile of dry powder on the sidelines. When does that go back in? Because in most cases, we know from an emotional investing standpoint, they're always late. Yeah. You're always going to be late. So I keep going back to Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, who had the biggest influence of me on anybody, who always used to say, don't just do something, stand there. It, it might have been the best thing to do was nothing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Although, Arguably, people who had cash 
uh, should have put money into short-term treasuries. There's no reason to have cash when you have 5% return on, on, you know, on, on a money market fund. That would have been an obvious play. Yeah. Uh, even Bogle would have argued, I, I think, that. Um, arguably, um, you know, leaving money, you know, selling at the, at the moment that the, the Fed's selling bonds, at the moment the Fed started raising rates, probably would have been a smart thing if you were an active manager. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, most of these prognostications don't go anywhere. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting this year is there's a bunch of new companies getting into the ETF business. You know, uh, Jeremy Grantham at GMO mm-hmm. running things. So you've covered this as well. Yeah. Uh, this is a further sign that the business is winning, even if the inflows aren't as strong as they used to be. So this is, this is the business of ETFs. When you think about these fund companies or these big asset managers that have separate accounts, it's worked really well for an extended period of time. However, an ETF is a great solution for separate accounts. That's a lot of money that you can really simplify in management for those conversions. So companies are doing that. In addition, we now see the demand for ETFs among mutual fund investors because, look, even periods of time like now when you have declining, um, uh, uh, d- declining valuations in your portfolio, at the end of the year, we're just a couple of short months away from what the year-end distributions are going to look like in, for the mutual funds. And if we're seeing net redemptions in a fund, what are they doing? They're selling low-cost ba- basis stock, and those gains are passed on to the current shareholders even when the other ones leave. And that's, th- this is a year where we really need to watch for that because we've seen a lot of redemptions in mutual funds. That money shifted over to, if, if we're to get a Vanguard ETF share class or if these companies decide to open up their own ETFs, we can sidestep those unfavorable tax situations that mutual funds offer. And a lot of them are doing it from a defensive standpoint to stop the bleeding of the redemptions that they're seeing. So maybe if we get, but my point here is maybe if we get yields stop going up, people and the markets rise a little more, we'll get a little more FOMO, people will pull some of that money out of that, those, those one-year CDs and one-year treasury bonds that they seem very happy about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe no longer stocks down, bonds down. And it's tough to do, because if you're getting 5% and it's safe, uh, that really feels good. Your clients feel good, and you as an advisor feel good because yeah. they're, in, they're in that area. But one final thing, Bob, it, is when you look at valuations on the equity side, boy, just a few months ago, we were at 21 forward earnings on uh, the S&P. It's now 18. And you look at valuations in, in small caps and especially overseas, we're approaching single digits in some instances. Yeah. Yeah. One thing for sure to me, Four and a half to five percent on a ten-year seems a lot more normal than 0.5 percent. Yeah, I, I kept saying, I want to meet the person that's going to lend the federal government, te- you know, money for ten years at 0.5 percent. That that never made any sense for me. Even with low inflation, it still didn't meet any sense. It's more normal now. It's what we've seen in the last few years that's an anomaly. Yeah. Now we're at least getting to back to be more normal. I got to let it go, Tom. Uh, that's it. Everybody, thank you for listening. I'm Bob Fasani. Make sure you tune in next week. And in the meantime, you can tweet us your questions or topic ideas at ETF Edge CNBC. Everybody, thank you for listening to the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. 
Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.